Welcome to You're Making It Worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Meh. Textual healing. Okay, well, obviously, uh, there was a lot of big exciting news out of the, out of the Supreme Court this week with mm-hmm. the Supreme Court decision, Bostock v. Bo, Bostock v. something. I didn't write it down. Uh, <laughs> but... In a six to three decision written by conservative justice, uh, Neil Gorsuch, um, the Supreme Court uh, said that uh, gay, lesbian, and bisexual, and transgender individuals, because of Title VII uh, under the Civil Rights Act of 1964, I believe. Sex discrimination. Sex discrimination. They cannot be fired from their jobs for being gay. So this was party. <laughs> I'm gonna blow a dick at work. <laughs> now I, I hadn't I hadn't made this prediction on the podcast, um, but I had listened to the Supreme Court arguments, and most people who listened back in October had suspected that Neil Gorsuch might join the Liberals because he seemed to be leaning that way in mm-hmm. the arguments. But he still had, you know, the very standard kind of conservative concerns, ju- judicial activism, sort of. Uh, 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 cliches uh, from a conservative justice, but not only did he join, he wrote the decision uh, for the, the 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 sweeping and progressive decision. And uh, Chief Justice, my favorite, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, joined the decision as well. So it was a it was a considered a pretty significant win for for gay rights this week. John Roberts, aka the sexiest man alive, in your eyes. I mean, needless to say, I think he's the yes. most handsome sixty-four-year-old man I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it's true. He's very handsome. He's very he's got, handsome. He's got great eyes. But anyway, he, he um, would hug you afterwards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, how did you guys? How did you guys feel about it? Were you excited? I think it's great. I mean, I was surprised that a lot of people were like, "Wait a minute, we could be fired." You know, you know, yeah. not that not that I know. You know, I'm some sort of like scholar or whatever, but. Um, it was a really nice confirmation of the fact oh. that there's some humanity left in, you know, yeah. in, during I, this insane time. I mean, yeah, amidst everything or amid everything going on right now, having sort of back-to-back decisions, both with the uh, LGBTQ decision, but also DACA, um, right. the DACA decision as well, or the Dreamer decision, if you will. Um, it was a good week. It was a really yeah. good week for for queer people, for people of color in some cases, uh, and it's 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 exciting because it's you know when and I've said this before, but when marriage equality, the debate over marriage equality and the whole sort of like constitutional amendment on on same sex marriage was happening in two thousand four. I remember I would get a lot of hate from a lot of gay people, queer people in general, because I was like, why are we focusing on marriage when we can still be fired from our job for being gay, denied housing, hospital visit, all these things. I was like, you have to be able to be un- to be employed and to pay your rent to get married. I mean, that's the trajectory I've always thought you had to have for marriage. And so I, I wanted to focus on that. And so I'm really glad we're at a place now that it went in a weird way, but it finally happened, which is a really it's nice. Also, I saw in the, in the New York Times they were saying they had uh, they had had some polls, like public opinion polls, uh, on the percentage of Democrats and Independents and Republicans who believe you should not be fired from your job for being gay or transgender. Mm-hmm. 
And first of all, the both numbers were shockingly high. It was about 85, uh, maybe I think it was 82% didn't believe that gay people should be fired from their jobs just for being gay. And the trans number was not much, was not much less. Which is so great. 78, 80% of people didn't, which is, you know, I guess really, I mean, obviously it makes sense to us, but like in a capitalist society, if we really do value the dollar over anything else, like shouldn't we all agree that we should play on the same, we should have the same, <laughs> we should be on the same playing field when it comes to work. Like that's what we're about efficiency at work at the workplace. So why not extend that? Well, I think, I think Congressman that. Matt Gates is the reason why this is all happening. Him and his, his son, <laughs> husband. I, I think, I think that is why this change came about. And I say, I say, God bless you, Congressman. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we also can move on to another uh, item on the agenda, which was the NCAA might move college sports out of Ohio because of its law banning trans athletes. So Idaho, did I say Idaho? You said Ohio. Ohio. I said, Ohio. I said, Idaho. Even though I'm quite literally reading it, I still said Ohio. It was <laughs> Idaho. So Idaho recently passed a House bill, uh, House Bill 500, a law that allows schools to subject young athletes to invasive medical examinations in order to sideline them if they're found to be transgender. It goes into effect July 1st, and as a result, the NCAA is considering moving its collegiate collegiate sporting events outside of the state. Um. Which I mean, is that, 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 I mean, I, 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 I think that's a pretty bold move. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the idea that Idaho would want to like inspect your genitals. That's to, exactly it. That's 1000% yeah. it. It's a to verify ex- what, that, that you have too much. It's ad- a physical ad- examination to identify the, what they feel is the gender you belong to based on the genitals you're born with. And, and they use it against these athletes in order to make them othered. And I say they can go fuck themselves. I mean, is, is it a situation <laughs> that uh, a trans athlete uh, is transitioning to, to do better at the race? Like, well, the fear is, is that they, the, the, I mean, they're, in trying to understand the other side a little bit, which I think they're all batshit crazy, but they believe that if a if a person who was born with uh, stereotypically male sort of gendered genitalia, then that person, if then transitioned into female later in life, has an upper hand because of the testosterone that they have in their body. That's one example that people have often used. There's the famous case of the, the Olympic runner who right. was trying to quote, we talked about her on the podcast, I think, and the sort of testosterone debate over some of these athletes. And so it really has to do in a lot of cases, I think, with testosterone and with the fear of, of sort of masculinity and the, the fluid nature of male gender and what it can grow into, all these things. I think it really has to do with that. And that's the root cause. Yeah, it seems to me like it's like a threat to, it is like a threat to the masculinity of, of a sports team if by God, you know, a, a male player has a vagina or, you know, the other way around. It's like, it really does seem to be an invasion. Obviously, it's an, it's like an incredible invasion to be like checked out for that. But yeah. to do so, it seems like for the for the 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 um, potential to 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 basically invalidate somebody. It's also, it's also, also like you know just, just a, yeah. It, it's Sorry. kind of a surprise now when uh, when like sports organizations have become like uh, voices of 
progress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really kind of considered to be uh, in a number of social issues recently, which I feel like 10, 15 years ago, two years ago yeah. was not always the case. And I think, I think it's obviously, I, I think it's a good thing because these organizations wield a lot of power mm-hmm. and they're the ones who ultimately might be able to, to enact more change than a, a change.org petition that mm-hmm. I sign or something. So I think in that sense, it's good. Well, they're siding with science too. I mean, the science, the so science says that like when a person transitions that, the the whatever sort of testosterone estrogen levels they're born with are all but in many ways diminished when they go through the full transition process and the the hormone therapy that they're forced to go through during their transition process and it just it goes against logic and science to think that just because a person transitions to their authentic gender female that they have somehow have an upper hand because they were born with with quote unquote or male upper, genitalia upper or lo- upper or hand or a dis- quote unquote disadvantage you know yeah. either way it's just it's just so i mean i know i'm the the you know the tree hugger here but i'm like it's so invasive to imagine having to get your genitals poked around basically mm. to verify a sport that you want to play i mean it's, yeah. I, I, anyway the good news is that you know, this costs money and that if the NCAA does pull out, Idaho would lose $15 million, which is probably right. a lot for Idaho. You know, I'm, I'm from a college town and I'll tell you what, I still don't get college sports. I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand yelling at a 19 year old to play better. It's just <laughs> like, it's one thing like pro sports I get because they're getting paid a lot of money and they're, quote, they're professionals. And obviously college athletes are great, you know, but they're not, yeah. they're not getting paid in the sense that they aren't, they, they legally can't make any money off of aren't anything. Aren't they being groomed though for college. like, aren't they being yeah, there's so many percentage, yeah, yeah, but, such a small percentage. I mean, there's such a there's such an imbalance of money distribu- distribution amongst college sort of extracurricular activities because so much goes towards sports, and it's like some people like history too. I was <laughs> yeah. in the history club. Even when I watch like Michigan football games, and I I I, I hate watching Michigan football games because inevitably they do poorly the moment I start watching, and so I'm like, yeah. oh, the fuck am I doing? And, but every time I tune in and I start to get angry, I'm like, I'm yelling at a bunch of fucking high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kids. yeah. Some of them are six months removed from high, sorry, three months removed from yeah. high school. Yeah. Like, why am I screaming at this guy? Like, what am I doing? It just seems <laughs> like a strange thing. Like, you know, and there's, there was a show and I don't think anyone's ever heard of it. It was called Friday Night Lights. And it was about oh yeah, about <laughs> high school football. I've and heard of that one. Yeah. It's crazy to think. I mean, look, God love you. To each their own. I understand that there's like a market. There's like a world in which like high school foot sports is a big deal. Yeah. Can you imagine caring about a high school sporting event when your kid isn't on the team? I mean, I that, was, that was my high school. That was 1,000% yeah. my high school. Oh, that wasn't my high school, but I got to tell you, every time somebody on Wheel of Fortune, like, um, <laughs> you know, ex- uh, um, introduces themselves and says what school they're, where they're from, or whatever, and they're like, go, you know, go mask, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like, I can't they, tell they, you. That's part of your, like, 30-second 
identity right. is to be like, go right. Panthers. So I'm I like, can't oh tell you God. the <laughs> influence of being in a high school where everything revolved around the football team and this massive game that was played every single year on Thanksgiving, the Turkey Day game between the rival high schools and how it, even Sports Illustrated came out and did like a whole massive spread on the importance of this hundred year game. And and yeah. it it defines the identity of the school. It's did so you, strange. Did you participate at all? Like, well, no, I went, yeah, you know what I, I did because A, I loved the Pommies, which was sort of like our cheerleaders at, at our high school. And my best friend was a Pommy. And so I would go and support wow. her while eating so many nachos and hot dogs yeah. in the stands <laughs> and talking with all the girls and just sort of being like, let's have fun with Lori and the Pommies and eat the <laughs> hot dogs. It's like I'm eating a dick. I started yeah, going to like high school football games like senior year and never enjoyed them. Yeah. I went to no games in college, no football games, and I do regret that. I wish I had done that. The only games that I wanted to really watch were literally like women's women's basketball games. <laughs> Not even joking. So we're here with Evan Ross Katz, who uh, Alan kindly referred to as a gay Twitter celebrity. Also a Jew. Also a Jew, right? Yes. Yeah, see, we got. And I support that. I support you. You're outnumbered here, Gentile. Evan, what would you say your main. A uh, title is fashion writer. Uh, I would say that's the work that brings me the most joy. So yeah, I like that. You know, it's fun. It's fun writing it. Like fashion is an interesting subject to speak on in a space like the internet because it's easier to be excuse me, it's easier to seem to be an authority. So whereas when I try and weigh in on like something like drag race, the ecosystem of people talking about it is so rich that I'm just kind of like another voice with fashion. I feel, and perhaps falsely so, but I feel like I can be a little bit more authoritative. Oh, it's true. No, it's totally true because like there is, you can kind of claim your own space within your fashion voice and your articles and everything you're doing. But with drag race, like, I mean, I just, I, I was just looking at your post now and like the, the past post you did with Shay's, Shay Coulee's outfit, the nude bodysuit and everything. And the amount of opinions that people have on that bodysuit and how everyone went crazy for it. And Michael stoned it. Thank you. My boyfriend, Michael stoned it. Uh, and it's, it's it, gorgeous, it's, but it's, it, you're right. Everyone has an opinion on drag race fashion. It's totally separate from fashion, mainstream fashion. Yeah. There are some really good accounts that I've, I've found that can speak about the fashion in really smart ways that really know the references that are being presented. But one thing that I found and like no shade to the girls, but I've seen several instances in recent seasons of girls referencing past runways mm -hmm. on their runway and not knowing the reference that they're pulling from yeah. because they've either outsourced to a designer who didn't inform them or for whatever reason. And it's so, you know, you just start to realize like it's really history only exists um, if it's remembered and brought up, you know, mm -hmm. um, ad nauseum. And so it's interesting watching girls reference and, 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 be unaware that they're referencing or be unwilling to acknowledge that they're referencing. <laughs> ah. There's a saying that I've heard. Um, it's a very rarely heard statement, but the term is history repeats itself. Oh, oh that's interesting. Wow. I didn't Elliot, know that. you're like FDR. You're so <laughs> yeah. many quotes. Wow. <laughs> so wait, Evan, now, so you, since obviously since fashion writing brings you um, your main income, what, how, do you, how do you get into writing about fashion? Do you study it? Is it like, how do you get Such there? Such an interesting question. I, I think I wondered the same thing and then it sort of 
over time started to happen more and more, I would say the number one way is obviously knowing runway history. And so I think a lot of that came, I was given an opportunity at this fashion magazine. This was years ago. It's a British fashion magazine called Essential Ohm. And they were like, they needed um, a Memorial Day roundup. This was in like the 2012's version of the internet. So it was very much like, here's a, it was Memorial Day, I think was the holiday. And they were like, can you make a guide of what to wear for Memorial Day? And I knew, I knew runways just from looking at them on the internet, but I didn't know, I didn't know, I wasn't a stylist. But I just like went on like, I think it was barneys.com and started like putting looks together and then writing about like where you would wear this, you know, like, and at that time it was like, I made like a yacht look because like in earnest, I earnestly made a yacht look. Um, And who are you, Sonia Morgan? Exactly. Honestly, like I look back on it now and I'm like, this is the kind of thing I would parody. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I wrote about that. And then I kind of think, again, it kind of comes back to the Twitter thing, but it's like, there weren't a lot of people writing about fashion with the sense of humor, like, and mm-hmm. sort of, I've always been someone who like, I'm willing to, to defend my own, my, my taste. I, my taste is something I trust. And so for me early on with the fashion yeah. writing, it was kind of like, I knew what was, what I thought was good and bad. And I was willing to state conclusively that this was good and or bad. And I think that in the fashion space, and I think that's changed thanks to your diet Prada's and your hot modes and, and other accounts that, that do similar things to what I do. But at that point it was, you, you weren't seeing as many strong opinions unless they were from like really established critics who are mm-hmm. kind of known for being biting. And so I think a lot of it came from, from that. And then, you know, um, snowballing opportunities. Yeah. You know, that's it's funny because that's, that's one, you, you mentioned this earlier about your, you know, your, your great sense of humor. And it's, it's interesting that fashion to me has always struck me as something that's so self-serious. Totally. And it's one of, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly. Shut up. To be honest with you're you. a fashion uh, icon. <laughs> I've got a couple cool hipster t-shirts. Uh, one of which is for a casino that no longer, no longer exists in Las Vegas. But outside of that, like, so like, yeah, like, do you find, like, do you go to events and people are mad at you for being sort of light? uh, Or are you serious enough and polished enough that that they still give you the respect you deserve? I mean, first of all, I would say, a lot of people have no idea who I am. I wouldn't be so um, bold (laughs) as to say they have any idea who I am. Um, But I would say that, I would say more often than not, I get a lot of DMs of people from the fashion um, world in agreement with something I say. It's, and, and you'll mm-hmm. see, and comments will come at times too, but more often, especially from like establishment figures within fashion, they'll kind of co-sign my statement in private. And I've always been one of those people who are like, I much more value a DM from a famous person than a comment. Like I much more value a private relationship with someone who I really admire. That's like such the gold standard yeah. to me. And so those moments, like I'll give you an example of someone and I don't, I'm not intending to name drop, but but course, someone like it. a Mark Jacobs, and I say this, yeah. I feel like he does this with a lot of people, so I'm not trying to like say I'm special. I think Mark Jacobs is one of those people who's like really plugged into the social media um, faction of fashion. Faction mm-hmm. of fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like those people who kind of like get the tool that is the internet, and I know that um, red carpets are something I take a lot of pride in because IDing looks in real time is not easy but it's like kind of um and i but when i say id i mean saying this actress or actor is wearing this garment Mm -hmm. and this is the collection and blah 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 
And I really pride myself on doing that. And those times are like really, really fun because I feel like that's when um, the fashion world loves to comment on a red carpet. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. it's where we feel the most, it's like, and something that everyone is interested in that we feel authoritative on. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I would say like, uh, I've never, I've gotten blowback, um, but I don't, I tend not to engage with it so much. There is such an ability where it blows me away. It's one of the things that sort of amazes me about people like you, Michael, my boyfriend also has this as well. This encyclopedic knowledge of past runways where you can very quickly reference, you know, that was 2002 Dior spring or whatever. And like, and you know where it goes. And it's sort of like what Elliot and I do with the golden girls. It's very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and where we can tell you the episode of the thing, and it is sort of this obsessive, uh, uh, fandom. It's a fandom in a ways, but yeah. I think what set, what sets you apart and what sets us apart is that we find the humor in it. You find the the voice in sort of you put a voice to the encyclopedic knowledge because if you have this encyclopedic knowledge, sure that's great, but you can be real boring about it. Completely. You put a voice to it that's really entertaining. And Completely. do you have any comedy background? Do you have like? Did you ever do anything with comedy? No, no, not at all. It's it's so nice of you that you that you find humor in it. I think it's um, I think it's just a willingness to be critical of things I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know, like the first time I really started to like make people mad, I remember with the fashion commentary was when I turned on my love of Timothy Chalamet's red carpet for mm-hmm. it was the Oscars last year, the Prada look, and I I didn't like it. But I love him and I loved, I didn't, I love that he wore it. I thought, and I, I, I love that he had a miss on the carpet. Mm. I thought that was like fabulous. And people really had a hard time. They were like, you're, you don't like him anymore. And I'm like, no, I, I, I love him so much. I, it's kind of an, an, an undying love. I hate this look and I'm glad he wore it because I get to talk about it. Mm. And I think that, um, mm. That sort of, if you want to call it a dichotomy, but like the loving and hating, I just think humor lives in that. And I think the idea of like, if you really love something so much and you are critical of it, the way you kind of like um, pad the blow is by infusing humor into it. You know, it's like, I can make fun of this because... What is it about him that you love? Because if I was on a bridge, he would be the first that I pushed. Yeah. 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 by the way, by the way, just so you know, Alan, I'd, I'd push Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brent. I'm honored. <laughs> I don't have like tremendous, as, I don't have as strong of feelings about him as it might seem on the internet. Mm-hmm. I would say that, that, uh, it was the Venice film festival, the Heider Ackerman, that silver suit he wore. That was one of my favorite red carpet moments of the last five years. And mm-hmm. so that's really like my entry point. And then I felt like but do you attribute that to him or do you attribute that to his stylist defining him? Fashion or do you think he's, yeah, is it his stylist or do you think, or do you have a crush on him? I don't have a crush on him. No, no, no. He's okay. way too tiny. Yeah. He's so frail. Do you have a crush on oh, Kit Harrington? Yeah. I mean, I'm tiny. human. Um, yeah, no, Kit Harrington's hot. Um, the picture you posted of Kit Harrington walking, my jaw dropped. Yeah. I, 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 I my job honestly, dropped. I can't think of who Kit Harrington is. He was the guy from from uh, Game of Thrones. But honestly, now he's the guy walking down the street oh. in those jeans. That's who he is to me. I, I, I my, my, my jaw dropped. Yeah. I, I, my jaw Elliot's dropped. already on all fours. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I never understood Game of Thrones. Too much snow. I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I just saw the picture that Evan posted of Kit Harrington walking down the street in jeans and boots. Can I, I only know Game of Thrones nudes. That's okay. all. Can I, can I say, can I share my one? So, Evan, I'm not really into fashion. 
as I've sort of alluded to, that's, that's, you know, that's the big surprise, the big reveal here. But I do remember years ago, like one of the biggest fashion faux pas that somehow sticks in my memory is like John Travolta <laughs> went to some event, like an Oscars with an all black suit and the tie was black. And I remember being like, Oh, that oh, doesn't yeah. look very good. And then like the, the commentators destroyed him. Like he had like a Nazi like sign with him or something. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. this? I don't remember that, but that it, it, I'm completely unsurprised. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> right. that kind of, um, commentary from like the it's like I, I just don't care not about you bringing that up i don't care about like a black tie and a black suit is so not the aspect of fashion that i'm kind of interested in yeah. the way fashion people t- uh fashion writers i should say yeah. tend to glom onto this yeah. like idea of like something is trendy or like a faux pas kind of thing and it's yeah. like to me I'll, i love a faux pas as long as it's as long as someone dives into it head first, I'll always mm-hmm. use a faux pas. You know, to reference a faux pas, um, yeah. Bjork with the swan dress, it's like, oh, we're still right. talking about it two yeah. decades later, and that means you yeah. did something right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually going to ask, uh, what, is, what is an example of sort of a classic faux pas? Like, like, when you say that, what do you, like, what sort of, for a simpleton like myself, what do you mean? Hmm. I'm always fascinated by the idea that you can make, that the idea of fashion being quite subjective mm-hmm. and that it does seem like most people can look at something and go, ooh, ugly yeah. or beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating too because I, I love other, when, when other people hate a look a lot, I'm really fascinated in engaging with them and like getting them to say more about it. Tell me what mm-hmm. you don't like. I've always been really fascinated. And part of why I love fashion so much is that anyone can have an opinion about it. You know, I always say like, whenever I talk to like young fashion students, I'm like, I chose fashion because everyone has to engage with fashion, right? Like mm-hmm. you make decisions about what you wear every morning. And I went to NYU for theater school. And I remember leaving theater school and being like, you can live your whole life, never avoiding the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And you will, because my brothers, they'll always tell you, I don't get why they burst into song. And it's like, if you don't get it, I can't really convince you. That's Elliot right there. Exactly. And like, you're never going to buy into it, but but with clothes, you know, you commented earlier, but you're like, I'm I'm not really a fashion person, but like you are in your own life. Like you make decisions. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that's why it's like your opinion about a red carpet will be as meaningful to me as a Mark Jacobs, because it's like, if you have a strong opinion, I want to talk to you. And that's always sort of been my MO. And a lot of the people with like the wild opinion, like blah, blah, blah. It's like when you get down to the brass tacks of it, it's like, they're giving you more of like a sassy quote, but it's like, mm-hmm. I know that they don't necessarily know why they don't like it. So to me, it's like the, are how you articulate your argument is way more compelling. Well, and so often too, like, I mean, like what Brent said about the red carpet looks and sort of the backlash of red carpet looks like, I think this is an old reference, but I think back to like Kim Basinger and like, she went to the Oscars in like 89 wow. and she wore, <laughs> I know, but it's like, a, it's a classic reference because it is, it's sort of viewed similar to the Bjork swan dress in that, like, what was she thinking where it was this weird, like blazer half suit. She designed it herself. If I remember right. And she wore like half of it was a glove and half of it was open. And she was, it was immediately after she was at the height of sort of Kim Basinger, 80s, 90s Kim Basinger. And people lambasted her for this because she was on the runway saying that she designed it herself and it was a unique look. And it was more, 
it wasn't necessarily a response to the look because the look was very, it wasn't bad. It was just sort of, it had an opinion, you know, but it was a response to her in that look gloating about her designing that look yeah. that the backlash became about sort of her arrogance to it as well exactly and it and it and it sort of signaled the decline of that early kim basinger of course she came back with la confidential and then she went away again but like it's 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 the it's that it's so fascinating to me how we can respond it is less about the fashion and it's more about the person wearing the fashion mm-hmm. yeah totally and i think also i i mean i always give a category to like serving like are they serving and like elliot you spoke about the kid harrington image and i think part of of what is happening in that photo because like a sexy man walking down the street is a rather dime a dozen ish. Um, yeah, sure. But there's something about the way what he's serving in that photo. It's like, it's um, cocky, but not quite arrogant and the fit of the jeans. But like, there's a way in which that, you know, there's a version of that photo where it doesn't quite pop the way that it does. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I think that that is, that is a key element to me. So going back to the Timmy Venice film festival, there, there are certain shots of him and his legs are like one is crossed in front of the other. And it's like, he is absolutely serving. And I will, oh, I, I think about that image quite often, to be honest with you. I'm very struck by that image. I will eventually frame it and hang it over my bed. <laughs> I think, is there like a, is there like a, um, and again, I'm sort of like in the same camp as Brent where I'm not very nuanced when it comes to fashion, but is there, has there been a movement toward men being more playful with fashion? Uh, you know, I think of like Harry Styles wearing like pearls or like, mm-hmm. you know, when I see you post about like Timothy Chalamet or something, I'm like, oh, from, 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 I know nothing, but I feel like, oh, there's been some sort of like movement. Maybe, maybe there's like a, t- a lack of, uh, homophobia there now where I feel like people used to be afraid of getting called like bags for wearing like patterns or something. To say this real quick, Elliot is actually very playful with his clothing. I remember we met at a bar once and he was wearing nipple tassels and cut off chain <laughs> underwear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Minute, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh I think God. that the, he was serving. He was serving. Was serving. Oh there God. you go. Yeah. I think that there are moments that happen every couple of years where like these stories start to emerge that will sort of like do listicles of all of the, the guys who are air quotes taking risks. But I think if you look back on it to like Dennis Rodman comes to mind, Lenny Kravitz comes to mind, obviously like Bowie and Prince, there's always been examples of like gender deviant figures um, in yeah. the fashion space. But I just think that like they'll go away and then they'll kind of, they'll, I know, Jaden Smith was a great one from like six years ago where it's like he wore a leather Louis Vuitton skirt one day and all of a sudden it was like oh my god Jaden Smith must be non-binary he wore a leather skirt you know where like this idea will take off that like because someone um, put thought into what they wanted to wear as we all do but people will kind of become fascinated by it I definitely think that like what has changed is that someone like a Harry Styles can wear something a little bit more and when I say gender fuck there's a um, a gradient to gender fuckery and his yeah. is low grade, but he can yeah. wear something like that and it can get 500,000 likes on Instagram. And that for a lot of people, I think um, from places from small towns, when not affirms that kind of aesthetic in a way that that element of it, I think is new. Yeah. I, I mean, I see things like that. And I think you know, like, you mentioned Bowie and you mentioned like Dennis Rodman and that all, they felt authentic in a way in what they were serving to quote you like they 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 they, it felt 
like it was them. Whereas like with now this new slot of Timothy Chalamet and like Harry Styles, it feels performative. Mm. It doesn't necessarily feel authentic to who they are. Exactly. It feels like in a way, which I think is a large part of what this podcast is somewhat about. Sometimes it's like that queer baiting in a way it's like, we want to look this way because we want that gay attention and that gay internet talk. And, and people eat it up new, right? I mean, it does. does. It does feel new. It feels new to me. I don't know. I mean, I'm so fascinated by this topic. I, I'm more interested in what you guys think about it. I vote my, um, I don't have a strong take on it, but my perception has always been they're kind of damned if they do damned if they don't, because I feel like, especially with Harry, who I think is really scrutinized in this department quite a bit and perhaps fairly. So what do I know? But, um, I always wonder, it's like, I, it, wouldn't I rather him sort of dip in queer aesthetics? And then I guess the question comes up, well, is it appropriation if it's not credited, right? Because it's like the idea that like Madonna was like acknowledging where Vogue came from. And I, I don't know the answer to that, but if I, if, if there were two boxes, right? If we we're going to be so binary about it and it's either Harry Styles dresses in jeans and a t-shirt or Harry Styles serves femme, femme, femme aesthetics, I'm gonna. I, I checked the. I checked the ladder. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I remember particularly being like annoyed by Nick Jonas when mm, he became. Mm-hmm. He sort of uh, seemed to go all out in terms of being as sort of because um, he's on that show um, where he's playing a gay guy. Right. That too, and like it was a mix of playing gay, not being gay, also being like Christian from what from right, I could tell, right. and doing this sort of like come hither kind of thing where it just felt like he was, <laughs> like he just felt like he was like baiting gay guys to just build his audience. Yeah. And I just found that so annoying. And yeah. I do feel like for better or worse, there, it feels like that is, that's where we started. And now when Harry Styles wears literally like a chain, a, like a, a pearl necklace, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. all right, but I don't see you're not, you don't hook up with dudes, right? <laughs> I guess to me, Oh, sorry, Evan, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I guess, to, I don't know. For me, I'm very sensitive to, to what kind of comes across as contrived. And I always, I can't help it instantly. Like when I see something that's that, I know it shouldn't be jolting, but it's that sort of out of place on a guy like Harry Styles or what you don't expect. I just, I can't help but think of like, remember that the pickup artist and he would always, remember that guy? Oh my God. Like wear a stethoscope around your neck to the bar <laughs> so you can meet girls. And, and his top I hat. I just think of that where it's, it's sort of that, but with paparazzi where he's like, he's just doing whatever it takes to get a ton of attention that, that yeah. 12 hour period. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I guess my, what I would wonder about is like, what you say is like, he's doing that to get a lot of attention, right? But there is a world in which he, there is a world in which, just go with me, in which he's just dressing how he wants to dress and other people mm-hmm. are sort of inferring from that, that he is, you know, trying to make some sort of larger statement. There's a world in which it's just like, for instance, his grandmother gave him that pearl necklace when he was a little mm. kid right before she died and he wears it around his neck because it reminds him of his grandma. You know, there's yeah. so many stories yeah. to... And I'm a monster. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But it's just like in my no, mind, I, I always no, try and is. sort of imagine that there's like, there can be stories behind why someone wears what they wear. And sometimes I think it's intentional signaling. I think definitely like, Lil Nas X is an example of a, uh, has an aesthetic that to me is signaling queerness. Um, but other times I think that, um, people might just make, be making sartorial decisions that read a certain way that are the intention behind them is, is entirely different than how we receive it. 
Well, it's also a defense mechanism, I think, in a lot of ways, too. I mean, we we don't here we are still a minority, still sort of in many parts of the world, like subjected to discrimination and, and being othered in a way. And in a weird way, we don't want these people coming and taking our game. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't want them sort of getting all the attention when it's like, I've been dressing like this for years, or I've been wearing nail polish for years or whatever it is. And, and it's sort of this, like, why are you coming for my game? That said, I mean, I'll admit my own sort of biases, like the guy from that, um, the Elton John movie, rocket man, who was the lead oh, actor. Taron Edgerton. Yeah. That guy. And I was so pissed at him because here he is playing the most literally quite arguably the most flamboyant man on the planet and the most flamboyant performer on the planet. And he shows up at the Met Gala, which is a camp theme, Met Gala, and he's wearing a fucking basic black suit, basically what Brent described, oh, the all-black oh, suit. son of a bitch. And I was so furious, because I was like, here you are trying to win an Oscar representing the most famous gay man in the world, and, and, and yet you can't even camp it up a little bit because you have to be straight. So, like, I get it. There's a double standard that even on my side where I'm like, you're trying to steal my game, and here I am pissed at the straight guy for not gaying out. Right. My other, then you're right. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, huh? my other thought, too, is it's like, it's not as though gay guys, like, or, or queer people, I guess we're talking about because we're talking about queer aesthetics. It's like, yes, queer people are undoubtedly like leaders within fashion. We're also some of the people like at the very back of the bus. Like when you sort of think about the way, um, you know, we all saw that cover of the New York Post recently with the gay guys in Central Park without the masks yeah. on yeah, and yeah. everything. And like you Ugh. look at that image and there's a lot of fashion cr- c- critique to be done in that image about, or you see, you know, these pics from Fire Island and obviously I'm bunching everyone in and, and, and sure. um, you know, I'm giving way to a stereotype. But, Go ahead. That's okay. The, the safe space to do that. Yeah, but I just totally think it's safe. like you see those images of what a lot of, and you know, actually we're not talking about queer aesthetics. In this case, we're talking about gay aesthetics. You see a lot of the ways gay guys dress and it's like, in some ways it's like, I think we want to have it both ways because we want to act like we are all like the Billy Porters and everything. Um, but we are a myriad of aesthetics and many of them are okay. complete trash and just hacky, as right. exactly just as, as hacky yeah. as a straight man. The Abercrombie, I mean, I still remember this one guy who I would see at the, at the gay bar in my hometown in college. He was probably 45, probably closer to 50 and dressed like a 19 year old club kid, like skin tight Abercrombie hookah shell necklace bleach blonde hair. I think he was like a bank manager or something. It was, yeah. it just didn't fit. And I, I almost, I didn't actually feel bad. Cause I mean, to each their own, if maybe if, if he likes Abercrombie shirts and look, God love you. But I remember looking at him and being like, you're, it's so obvious that you're trying to just hook up with college kids right now. And you think that you're mm-hmm. in is by wearing a Hollister shirt or whatever. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I look at um a lot. I'm like really fascinated currently with watching, are you guys watching Drag Race All Stars Five? Mm-hmm. I'm really Brent fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the workroom uh, looks at present because there's a lot of. I would say half the girls are giving a lot of thought to their presentation of their air quotes boy selves. Yeah, and I'm just really fascinated with like the evolution of the workroom. But then you have people like India Farah, who I absolutely love, who like is serving you nothing in the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really fascinated by like you know this idea of here is a a cast of all queer people on a television show that drag aside are actually having to show you like what does a queer gay person dress like in 2019. 
It's so true. We were talking about that yesterday with with a queen from All Stars Four. That that sort of conscious decision of dressing as the boy self and the workroom self. And these were like flip flops right. and oh my god, Trixie Mattel wearing the cargo shorts and the the you know the a lot of camo, a lot, a lot of camo, camo baggy shorts. Yeah, especially in the early seasons. Yes. But like yeah. now, there is there's a real effort in sort of like presenting your queer self in such a elevated sort of polished, almost Quentin crisp way. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's very Quentin crisp in that like it's the suit and the things and the hat you have to be put together and the, the foundation, there has to be boy makeup and there has to be drag makeup and it's yeah. like two different looks, but same person. It's really interesting. And it's funny, especially the, the dichotomy comes through the most in the all-star seasons when you have early season girls and late season girls, because, mm-hmm. you know, you have someone like an India or a Mariah or an Alexis who are like back in their time, the workroom wasn't, they weren't thinking about the presentation of the workroom in the same way. It was mm-hmm. all about the workroom was a means to get to the runway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you have the girls now, like the Blairs and the Shays and the Cracker, less so Cracker but who come in into the workroom and are like, okay, I need to give something that is like informing what you're going to see later in the episode. And, and that's yeah. just a, a, a very high level of thinking that uh, obviously to each their own, I like both. But that said, like coming from just as someone who actually does drag, it's like the idea of that juxtaposition between the very boy self of I'm going to wear this shitty t-shirt and these cargo pants and just be very casual and whatever. So that when someone like Mariah then becomes the queen, she becomes, it is ultimate glam beauty woman. So there is this massive, whereas you look at someone like Alaska, who is a dear friend and I love who in all stars too, she dressed very polished and Quentin crisp like, and with the, the, the blazers and she was very sort of put together. And then on the stage, she was herself and there's less of a disconnect. Whereas with someone like Mariah or others, there's a massive disconnect from their boy to girl. And it's fascinating to see. It's almost like, it feels like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying it's the sort of, I think it signals the evolution of reality TV in a certain, in a certain scenario, or even with drag race in particular, where it's like, mm-hmm. now we treat being on a show as they, they're sort of an equivalence to the sort of uh, pageantry of the, that part of the show with the first part of the show where you're quote unquote behind the scenes. It's all the same thing now. Still and pageantry. I, yeah. And even like on the housewives, which, you know, I, I've watched less and less, but the fact that when they do video uh, confessionals now and they dress like they are actual fucking drag queens, they do like, Lisa oh, right, Rinna so the, this season. Total right. And the queen. whole show is now a circus. It's now a pageant beginning to end. Mm, there is no, it feels like there is no differentiation between, you know, walking the fucking runway and also like being at home in your quote unquote pajamas. Completely. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so interesting you point that out. I mean, like I remember the early seasons of housewives when they would pull them aside on the street after the mm-hmm. scene and be like, what just happened? There are some amazing moments from season two of New York in particular with Bethany, like in front of a yellow cab, just being yeah. like, this is what just went down inside. And it was much more like the producers needed the scene to be threaded and that was the purpose. It's like, and also you're in in the thick of the emotion. And as you sort of point out, it's like there's this performance nature it's that performative is just now, yeah. elevated. Okay, a little bit of a side, but in line with this. So my boyfriend and I are watching Survivor right now. 
in order. Um, we started with season one. We're now in season six. Wow. And we're listening to a lot of the historian podcasts. And one thing that they talk about is like how modern Survivor has emerged where players come on and they know the game, right? And they are playing into what they understand. But these early seasons we're watching, they are establishing the game. And so one thing, I think there's a direct parallel to Drag Race, which was like in the beginning, there was no sort of like workroom look. There were These were all, these tropes were not yet established. And my sensibilities, and I feel there's with Survivor and with Drag Race, my sensibilities will always go towards the older, the originator. Too. Yeah. As, yeah. Brent, as Brent particularly knows, I love really almost like boring old reality shows. Mm-hmm. And my favorite that Brent was like, I don't, I don't care about this. And then he got sucked into watching all of the episodes was Kel on Earth. Mm. Are this you show was about Barry, yeah. Of course he is. It's a show. Alan, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a reality show about Kelly Catrone, uh-huh. who ran like Fashion People's PR Revolution. Person. And my favorite thing about the show is that they're talking about like again stuff I don't know, high fashion models, you know, wealthy New Yorkers and socialites and all this stuff. And she is so dreary. And they work in an office that is so tightly packed and it's so ugly. Yeah. And it just looks like miserable people at their desks. And I'm like, this is actual reality TV the way I want it. I don't want people dressed up like looking crazy. I, also, I want them looking dirty. I also do this now, though. When I watch a particular show from 2008, which is probably when that was Kel on Earth was on, it reminds you of a different time in your life. And it is, it is so long ago. It's as, as surreal as it is to say. Completely. It's so long ago now that you're like, oh, that was a different period in our, that was Obama's first year. You know, Obama got elected yes. that year. You're, it's such a different time that sometimes I watch these reality shows or I'll watch clips from Project Runway season two, which was when I was still in college. And it just brings you back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was also just a tremendous amount of clout that came with being on reality that people our age will remember. But a lot of these kids, even, you know, five or 10 years younger than us don't remember. And again, sorry to like go back to Survivor, but (laughs) during the first couple of seasons, the night that they were eliminated, the next morning they would be on the Today Show. And even some Mm -hmm. of the contestants were on Dave Letterman. You know what I mean? And it's like the idea of like any, first of all, I mean, uh, late shows are barely what they used to be nowadays, but it's like the idea of like yeah. someone from these shows leading on a platform like Dave Letterman, you know, today, it's just I mean, like Elizabeth Hasselbeck. She's a great example of someone who came from Survivor, yeah. who went on all the talk shows after she was off Survivor, and then literally made a career for herself on television. Got Survivor. Successful Survivor around. alumni of all time, period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's also interesting just to think about the idea of like this post-reality where people are performing and then they they quite literally, it feel, to me, it feels like everything's been leveled so that lowbrow is not that much different from highbrow. Yeah. And Cardi B can perform as a version of herself on a reality show mm-hmm. and then actually spur it into a genuinely blockbuster career. I mean, that's so different than Luann on Housewives doing like goofy dance music that then becomes sort of like a in on the joke, Florence, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins kind of thing. But it kind of, it kind of mirrors the rise of Instagram in a way that the reality that we know, even on social media is a curated reality. It's not real. It's fake. It's glamorous. It's not true. And so like with the rise of something like Instagram, where it's all essentially fake posts and, and you're putting the best thing you can out into the world, reality television has reflected that in a lot of ways. Well, Let me pose a question for you guys. What is reality? 
Oh, we wow. don't even know. We don't even I feel know. like you just you just turned into Valerie Cherish mm. there. What's real? I don't know. Evan, is there a, if I may ask, is there a is this is just one, before you go, it's just a, I know we're doing like a pop potpourri of, of gay things, but I love it. What do you th- I'm just curious what you think of Megan McCain? As somebody oh. who watches The View, I know you watch The View. Brent has checked out officially yep. now. Uh yeah. <laughs> That's a complicated subject. My, I'll give you my opinion. It's not going to be one that's yeah. well liked. Um, I really like Megan McCain. <clears throat> um, full transparency. I do have a uh, something between an acquaintanceship and a friendship. Do you know what I mean? Like we know who each other are and we speak pretty regularly, mostly about view centric topics or housewives. This is my thing about Megan McCain. If you don't like her, I completely get it. I would never. I'm not. I would never defend Megan McCain. That's she's not the hill I will die on. I will say this, and I and this is how I used to feel about like Lizzie. We used to call her back in the day. <clears throat> Anyone who goes on that show, because that's my favorite television show, to go on your show to that, on that show every morning to go in front of the world and be handed a hot topic and to share your view on something that you might not necessarily be. You know, you might have had an hour to study it to go on every day open your heart i have immense respect for anyone even a guest on that show i feel like they it's incredible watching them especially right now maneuver through this news cycle and not sound like fucking idiots now some might think that they do but i guess so that's my first thing and i would say like do i do i agree with any of her politics no but i think that she is painted out to be a lot I think she's a very nuanced human being. And I think she's characterized by a lot of people. I don't like the term on the left. I I, I guess she's characterized by a lot of people who I think think similarly to me, I'll say as being this like kind of monster because of like, she, you know, she does these, has these moments on Twitter, for instance, or she says certain things on the show. Um, But I have so much respect for her willingness to step in it and not, not avoid the pond altogether afterwards, mm-hmm. if the pond analogy works. So all this to say, like, she's a, she's a fully, she's like kind of like my aunt in the fact of, and like, not that we're that dissimilar in age, but like in the fact of like, I don't agree with her all the time, but because you're on The View, you're family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That makes total Tell sense. Tell me what you think. Um, I think that she's, complicated and nuanced, but I think she's incredibly smart. Um, And sometimes I definitely find her politics annoying. And then I'm also weary of her husband's politics more than her because her husband runs uh, the Federalist. So I find that interesting too. But I'm also, I I think she's, she's to me, I mean, I think she's the the smartest conservative person they've ever had on the show. Mm. And the fact that she would be, seem to get along or they, they, they they'll like bicker or then they're friends to me prob- speaks more to. Well, Whoopi is less liberal than I think. Whoopi is less liberal than people want to think. Yeah, because, that's true. I mean, Whoopi is very moderate down the road. She, she will kiki with a Republican conservative Republican. Yeah. if She has to, that said, Megan McCain, like I, it, I don't, 
the more she does what she does, the less I love her from an aesthetic point of view. She is the ultimate drag conservative that I admire in the world. She is an aesthetic that I will, and I've talked about this on the podcast before. I frequent, literally, I just got a text from Naomi Smalls about Megan McCain. And, and so we, we text regularly about this because it is a conversation that I think a lot of people have about Megan and how beautiful and whatever, but what she says is absolute shit, and it's really hard to stand by it sometimes. And all to, the time, to stand a lot of the time, yes, a lot of the time, things she says is really, really, really troubling. And and from a place of um, part of the problem with what's happening right Completely. now, completely. I, I, I solution. Think, I think though, where it kind of gets muddy when it comes to her, as I find, and this is because I follow a lot of gay men on Twitter, I find that gay men's responses to her sometimes end up getting so off topic and become mm-hmm. sizist or misogynistic or yeah. a myriad of things that when people, that's why the, when you, to own Megan McCain, there was a great, someone owned her in the best way possible recently when she tweeted about how like she didn't feel safe in New York or something. And someone responded <laughs> and they were like, I live in your building. Everything's fine. Yeah. Genius. Best own. The best. Yeah. A Samantha B writer. Okay, love her, give her a raise. That's a great yeah. example, but I think more often yeah. than not when people tend to attack her, like for instance, I'll give I'll give an example. There's a lot of the jokes about my father, how she says my father a lot. As someone that watches the view has watched the view every day for 18 years now or something and and watched her on the show years before she was a co-host cuz she was guest starring as early as 2014. I, that would never be something that like rings in my ear as memorable and also like I I don't mind her that it's never something that happens at nauseam in such a way that it becomes a thing. Sure. When you string them all together in a supercut, you're going to get, you're going to get what you wanted, but we could do that same thing of Whoopi Goldberg yeah. saying yeah, my father. True. It's just, there's a way in which or come back anytime. Oh my God. Or welcome to the view. Welcome to the view. Yeah. Welcome to the view. Or, yeah. or where, where are we? What time, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's happening? What day is it? So if you only knew what us. was happening in my stomach right now, but I digress. <laughs> so it's like talking about farting or her tits hanging to the ground. Like, yeah. Where are we? Yeah. That's why I like that. Yeah. That's why I like the show. It's a fun Mess it's a mess, day. but I guess so. It's just at the end of the day, the one the last thing I'll say about it. Sorry to be so long winded, but like people will tweet sometimes and be like, they need to fire Megan McCain from the View, and I am like, if you fire Megan McCain from the View, good fucking luck. Like the alchemy yeah. of these four women right now. This is our best cast since the heyday when we had Elizabeth, yeah. Sherry, Barbara, Whoopi, Joy, which is like the icon cast. Star, is, Star Jones, Star gelled better in retrospect. <laughs> That's true. Like, yes, yes her, when Star was on, it was essential viewing, but like there was a lot of yawn worthy Star moments, but mm. Star was a really yeah. good um, interview. I would be curious yeah. how she would have handled hot topics in the way that they do them now. Cause I think she yeah, would have stepped think in she, more. I agree um, completely. But anyway, this just to say, like, I, I think that the, these four women, you need Megan, you need her so much. Oh, and yeah. it's so funny when smart cultural commenta- commentators online will be like, fuck this Fire bitch. Her. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, no, like this is what you're it's doing. Fun. Like make fun of her all you want. That's great, but don't fire her. Like, yeah. you, you know, like just drag her if, if you, if that's I, how I, you want to, you know. I've heard people say before that if, if, if Megan McCain got fired from The View, that they think that would be the first step towards a, a new civil war. <laughs> sort of like Franz Ferdinand when he was assassinated. That led to the war. That. 
By the way, Kevin, <laughs> this was so amazing. Yeah. You were such a great Thank guest. You Thank you so you. much. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Evan Ross Katz, and you can listen to my podcast, Shut Up Evan. But can I just say, so I really wanted to uh, say you guys, the I recall very specifically the podcast that you did with, his name is slipping my mind right now. Um, Matthew Dem... Oh, no, Max Emerson. Max Emerson, yes. And I just want to say, because that was my entry point to this podcast, and then subsequently mm-hmm. I've been listening. I just really, the way that the three of you handle that conversation... And Elliot, I know you and I went back and forth at the time um, and mm-hmm. talking about it. I thought that you guys, it captured me so much about the way that you guys take on these topics in such a nuanced way. And I thought the way that you kind of went to the source and had a conversation that was not... Reasoned. We wanted it to be reasoned. Completely. And I felt like he was able to express himself and I walked away from it. I wouldn't say I respected him any more or less, but I felt like there was no belittling. And it always... I'm one of those people where... I'd much rather be in conversation with the person that I have a gripe with. It's so much more interesting. Totally. Yeah. And I've just felt like you guys were really, um, I just remember that interview a lot. And I think it did a lot for anyone listening to it in terms of how we, what we do with these figures that we see that make us feel a certain way. So I just want to, Say how meaningful I thought that conversation was. Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And Brent will invite you to their wedding when when it happens. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. Evan, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Evan. Appreciate you being on. Thank you. Perfect. And another thing. So, guys. Life is reopening in many parts of the country after the coronavirus pandemic. And in Texas, people are ready to party. (laughs) In Houston, particularly, <laughs> at a bar called Buddies, which I'm, that's always a sign to avoid that bar, um, <laughs> and, and Blue Bar in Midtown Houston, they closed after employees and the owners uh, were tested positive for the mm. COVID-19 virus. Um, they were asymptomatic, but however, they did close after they had a brief reopening of yeah. the COVID, which is happening across the country, not just in right. gay bars. Uh, this one in particular is is just sort of an example of what's going on around the country. What do you guys think? Are, would you go right now in Los oh. Angeles if if you could go to Akbar, would you do it? I no. I don't I don't think I would go to an indoor bar. If if I had, if there was a bar that had like a a roomy patio, I would almost certainly go to that. If I so could. I've gone I've gone to a couple of restaurants um only on outdoor patios and only in places where we have plenty of space and the waiter is wearing a full mask and gloves. If that weren't the case, I would literally turn around and leave. Full mask, how like do you Halloween mask, sort of like a, <laughs> like a masquerade ball mask. <laughs> yeah. My question, my question for restaurants, which I have not, I've yet to be at a restaurant like that. And I, I, uh, well, Ellie's just showing off his money, but yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we are fast food people. We literally had Wendy's like two hours ago. Um, but that said, how do you navigate the eating part of it? Like, do you only eat with people you've quarantined with? Oh, like your yeah, boyfriend? yeah. I, or lift yes. your mask just to take a bite? What do you do? Yeah, oh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I. it's only Michael and I going. Well, me and Michael and his roommate who, um, because he lives with him, that's the only other person I've I've seen out of outside of quarantine yeah it's only it's only been the three of us or the two of us otherwise it would be a terrible idea to like share food you can't you can't like it's not safe so um but i was going to say too that michael my boyfriend is from houston originally and Mm. said that he obviously knows a bunch of people who were at that bar and the bar owner of that place and he said that 
now, as a result, people that he knows from Houston are using, I guess, Facebook, maybe Instagram too, to announce when they have Corona to basically uh, sort of um, uh, remove the shame of it and just to announce it and, and let them let people know their symptoms, I guess, is a way to help educate other people from making the same mistake. But I would, I I mean, honestly, I'd be very scared to go into a place that didn't have ventilation. That wasn't outside. I don't know. It just seems really scary. Sort of the the consensus is like, you know, medical health experts, we still don't definitively know exactly what methods your people are uh, acquiring the disease most easily, et cetera. But most people, most health professionals I'm listening to are reading, aren't as freaked out if you can be outdoors or in like a very well ventilated area. Um, and whereas like if you were indoors and in a not particularly well ventilated area, that's, that's when they're, cause I guess uh, seemingly it seems like they're discovering that it can be, the disease can be aerosolized, which is, which is to say it can sort of live in the air for not particularly long, but certain durations of time. And that's my, that's my fear. All that. And so, yeah, so I, it's, it's, it's so like, I am, I am, I think out of the three of us, I've certainly, in fact, in the scheme of all of my friends, I think I've been probably more aggressive about living my life as close as I can to what I normally do, which is to say, even like in the, in the shit of it, like I was still going to the grocery store, like every other day. Mm. Uh, I obviously wear my mask. I do everything that I'm asked to do. I social distance, but I'm still like, do, like I've taken the train once or twice in the last mm-hmm. couple weeks, um, but so but I so I'm so uh, so eager to try to return to normal, but at the same time you're like it's but it's not normal. Like I don't want to go yeah. to a bar when I'm the only guy. <laughs> oh, there is <laughs> yeah. nothing. I mean, it's not, as, it's not fun. I'll be completely honest. I have been stressing so much this past week because I'm at that point now where I mean, you guys know me. I'm a homebody. I don't give a fuck yeah. about being at home, but I am at a point where I need to perform. I need to get in a group of people on a stage or in a crowd and just talk and make people laugh. And that is all I need to do. And like, I cannot do that because Michael won't laugh at me anymore. And so <laughs> I don't, I don't know. He's had enough. Less and less at my like weekly jokes. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I know. What do you do when they stop laughing? He stopped laughing. I guess it's over. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's definitely a stressor level of like, I just want to exist. Yes. To know some normalcy, but I really just want to perform and be in a bar. I mean, as a bar and queer culture, I don't think it, it should be said lightly that like bars play a very important part of queer life in general. Um, also straight life too, but gay life, I think particularly. And, and I never realized so much how important that kind of existence and reality was to me more than I am right now. The idea of like going to showgirls on in, in WeHo and seeing like a drag show at a bar on a Wednesday or a Monday night. Yeah. I really am dying to do that. And I can't do that. You know, and yes. it's funny. Elliot said the exact same thing. He's, it was a couple days ago. He was like, I just need to get out. I need to be in the middle of a group of gay men and I need to be performing. I need to, <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. oh, you need yeah. to do comedy. He goes, no, 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 oh, no. I was like, oh, you have to sing for them. He's like, no, 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 not sing. And then of course I understood what he was talking about, but yeah, yeah that, I mean, Elliot thrives on that stuff too, you know? Yeah. 
No, I was going to say, um, I forget who said it, but somebody was saying that they went to the Abbey and that the rules in play are such that it's like there are, as far as I remember him saying, like uh, areas are sectioned off with literal like plastic, you know, oh, wow. areas. And, and like you can only stand at the bar in a certain order and yeah. get your drink and, and return to your table. And yeah. so it's like it's interesting just to think about that perspective because that immediately makes you lose the social factor of a bar. So right. then That's, at that point, what is the what's purpose? The point of and, spending $14 for a drink at a bar if you can't like talk. chat with someone and try to get laid or what or whatever yeah. you do when you go to a bar. Yeah. I saw a friend of mine post um, a great drag queen here in LA, Marta Bichu, who she she performed at Hamburger Mary's here, which is reopened now for like food and service and stuff. And the requirements that for her performing was that she had to have a face covering, which is like the opposite of what a <laughs> yeah. drag queen is supposed to need, right. and like other things. And she couldn't take money like tips, like you can't take money tips. So they they install. I don't know if she did or they did, but they have like a flea a flea net or a bird nest or what <gasps> you know the thing oh, that's wow. on a stick and has the yeah. you you catch butterflies and shit. Yeah, yeah. A, a net, and, a net. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's how you get the tips. Is like a little net. Oh my wow. god! I see. Honestly, like all I care about when I see all I care about is a lip sync assassin, and so mm. that would make drag. I would be completely disinterested if I couldn't see somebody's lips moving. Yeah. Yeah. Brit's bored. Brit's bored by that. He yeah, has no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. You lost me lip sync. Lip sync. Justice Assassin. for Cameron Michaels. Assassin. Oh, brother. What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on the show today? If I could lip sync assassin to any song, it would be Perry Como's Papa Loves Mambo. (laughs) (laughs) Papa Loves Mambo. (laughs) See, my Aunt Joanne would say, is a lip sync assassin somebody who kills the people? They kill the drag queens? That's terrible. (laughs) How about Aunt Anne? I love that because I also have a lip sync assassin one. My yeah. aunt Anne would say, "Lip sync assassin is that? Is did a did a drag queen shoot JFK? <laughs> Was the drag queen in the bushes? Because I be that's from the bushes. They were singing from the bushes. Oh my god! I love well, it. anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. <laughs> I'm H. Allen Scott. <laughs>